Oh boy, happy Monday. What's going on? Welcome to another <laughs> week of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks Insider Thomas Drance, who of course also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Man, what a weekend. Oh, it's been great. Woo! Is there going to be anybody left on Friday when we're doing live trade deadline coverage? Uh, the, uh, the, Carolina Hur- so. the Carolina Hurricanes are officially now the team that's like um, the character in The Simpsons standing around outside. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. but Ever- I don't want to go in yet. They might do something cool. <laughs> yes, that, yes. That's where the Carolina Hurricanes are. Well, at. every other team in the Eastern Conference is, is just doing whatever they can. Locked in an absolute arms race, especially Tampa Bay and Toronto. Yeah. Although also especially New Jersey. New and Jersey New York. and New York, actually. What? Oh, what great. Those series are going to be unbelievable. Those are, you know, in some combination, two of the seven top teams yeah. in the league. Only one can advance. Two teams. Truly so at, a loser leaves home, uh, at, town match. At least two teams <laughs> that have significantly, that have given up significant assets to improve are going to be out in the first round, right? Like one of Tampa and Toronto is going to be out, one in New York and New Jersey is uh, going to be out. It's so fun. It's great. Honestly, it's going to be awesome. It's so fun. And like, I'm just excited now. You know, one, once the trades start flying and the prospect of meaningful hockey, uh, you know, lingers on the immediate horizon, like it's fun. It gets really exciting. Hey, I want to quickly... This week is amazing. This week is great. Yesterday was awesome. I want to just quickly note one thing for anyone who yelled into their radio at your commentary that, you know, at least two teams that gave up significant assets would be eliminated in the first round. I'm sure there was at least someone who banged their steering wheel angrily and said, that's why the NHL's divisional alignment is ridiculous. I just want everyone to know if the season ended today, in the first round, New Jersey would face the New York Rangers and Toronto would face Tampa Bay. Very good. Just want to remind everyone of this fact. (laughs) It would be identical. It would be exactly the same. This is not a product. It only becomes different if you're talking about like straight up 1 to 16 across conferences, which they're not doing, which is not in the cards. So we can just leave that that, uh, where it is. But yeah, it was... uh, I mean, we haven't. We're, I don't know how much we're going to talk about the game on Saturday because there's been so much happening around the league. There's been stuff happening today with JT Miller. The Canucks play again today. Obviously, we have to look forward to the trade deadline, kind of digest everything that unfolded over the weekend around the league, what it means for the Canucks. There's basically just a, a lot, an awful lot going on, Drancer. And uh, we probably should start with just a quick JT Miller update, right? Because uh, our guest at twelve thirty. Do do we have one? Well, yeah, with the team. Well, what's it going to be? But what's it going to be in five minutes? Over the last twelve <laughs> hours, JT Miller has been updated from potentially around the block and could not play in Dallas, maybe for trade-related uh, reasons. Uh, a report from Shana Goldman, my athletic colleague, and our guest at twelve thirty. Yes. Stay tuned. This morning, he was what he tweaked something minor those, injury. Those are the reports. Tweaked something could be out for a week. Yeah, well, were the kind of the initial reports, and then shortly after, it was and he's not in Dallas. And then, of course, the tweak injury update was directly quoting his agent. And then the team announced week to week. Week to week. I mean, what a dizzying journey for JT Miller. Yes. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) So the upshot of it is he is not 
per the team, he's week to week with a lower body body injury. <laughs> won't play in Dallas. Isn't in Dallas. Obviously, they're not saying it's for trade related reasons. There you go. If he's traded, though, the Canucks are going to get a like player. Uh, up here, they're looking at Carmen San Diego. Um, that's uh, <laughs> that's the latest on JT Miller. So, well, I mean, but you know, seriously, it feels like that's one that could change tomorrow, right? Like, we- well, yeah. And one thing I'm watching is, do they put him on IR? At any point, right? Like, if you're week to week, you have to be. IR means you're out seven days. I if, think normally a week to week player, when you only have twelve healthy forwards, well, and you right have now, and you have a player taking up a roster spot who you're sitting out, you're Luke sitting Shen. out. Like yeah. normally, if a player was week to week, you're going to put him on IR and you're going to get somebody up in that roster spot. So, there's nothing normal about this. Jan. That that's the interesting. That's the real tell for me because I know there's this take like, well, he's week to week. That ends any trade talk. And look, I don't think he's going to get traded, but it's a, it's not over until he's on IR. Right, and then you actually can't be traded by the deadline. So now we're going. Let's go. Let's keep going backwards because that was right. that was today's news. Yeah. So Saturday, Canucks played Boston. We yeah. don't have to get into it too much, but I do want to say, I saw a lot of like the Canucks played well. They held their own against the Bruins. They absolutely did not stop that. That is a wild take. Uh, the Bruins exactly calibrated how much effort they required to comfortably beat the Vancouver Canucks and come away with two points. They determined that it was something like two thirds effort level. And then they absolutely crushed them in the first period, like out out attempted them four to one. Zamboni barely had to scratch the ice surface in the in the Canucks shoot twice end and built a two nothing lead. And from there, they were in absolute cruise control to the point where their goalie felt comfortable taking a pretty high difficulty stab at the Canucks oh, an extre- empty net. Extremely high. Difficulty. It was an awesome play. Three dudes bearing down on him when he has the puck and he had to come out and proactively try to set it up. So I'll be honest, that goal and it, you know. I know people are going to say, well, you love when bad things happen to the Canucks. It's not about that. It's like, I've never seen a goalie goal. It's on my bucket list. It was such a cool thing to get to witness live that I had like the Grinch's heart grows four sizes moment. You know, I was like, oh, this sport really can be wonderful. You know, like I needed it. I needed it because I watch. I was watching. I was at home. I was watching the end of the game at home while like doing the dishes after dinner and have the game on and I'm watching it and I see it happen and I was like so delighted. It was amazing. And I was like calling my daughter's like, Nora, the goalie scored. You got to come see this. The goalie scored. I was like, whoa, it actually happened. It's That's so, so cool. cool. It is so cool. <laughs> there was a play in the first period. Um, Brad Marchand sort of breaks formation on a forecheck to land a hit, like a high energy moment. And Canucks defender makes a good pop pass. Canucks go the other way. It's sort of like a chance at a chance. And Patrice Bergeron has to skate back fully, you know, full tilt to break up uh, a chance at a chance uh, off the rush for the Canucks. And he can't, comes back with the puck, gathers the puck because he's Patrice Bergeron, and yes. he suffocates all That's what players. he does. And uh, I don't even think the Canucks got a shot attempt out of it, to be totally honest with you. And he comes back, and Marchand slashes, again, full tilt uh, through the neutral zone, and Bergeron like so dramatically looked him off. And from that point on, it was like the Bruins had decided how much effort to expend. It wasn't a ton. Um, you know, at some point, like, at some point you have to not – fall um, into the trap of judging this team off their own standards, but off like the objective standards of what matters. The Boston Bruins came into town and sort of didn't take the Canucks seriously on home ice. That should be tough to swallow. Like that should appall Canucks fans. And and instead I felt like the conversation around it was like moral victories. And I'm just, we can't do this again. We can't have another season of moral victories and a, and a foiled tank and a draft lottery loss. <laughs> like I can't. I'm not. 
I'm not willing to go through the same beats and rhythms that have become grimly familiar around this team. Like I will not, I will not fall into that trap. Uh, I thought it was a brutal performance from the Canucks on Saturday night. All right, Friday, or well, sorry, right. So Friday, the Canucks acquire Vitaly Kravtsov in a in a trade with the New York Rangers. The cost was as close to free as anything I've yeah. ever seen. Right, like. Will Lockwood isn't just surplus to requirements on a team that doesn't have a lot of depth. Um, but, you know, does he have one point in his NHL career and he's played like 20 plus so, games? Yeah. I, he top absolute, absolute high water mark tops out as nice 13th at forward energy guy, right? Like that's basically what no, you're No, I don't even think that. Right. But like that's organizational the best play. case scenario. The, the, the thing is, though, in saying that, there are some really attractive tools, including the speed. I often watch him play, and I'm like, there's something there. And then I look at the b- bottom line production and the shot rate and everything, and I'm like, there's not. There's just not. But I really admire the character, right? This is a guy who's been through a ton of injuries. He's emptied the tank to make it to this point in his NHL career. He's going to continue to empty the tank to try and make something more of it. Good luck to him. I enjoyed covering him. I enjoyed watching him play. Um, but he's also a group six unrestricted free agent and he wasn't in the Canucks' plans. Yeah. Like this is a guy who's, he's not even like a, a interesting young forward. He's literally a pending UFA who was below the line and in the American league. Like part of the deal is that the New York Rangers got an NHL roster spot out of the transaction. And of course a 2026 seventh round pick. I can't remember the last time I saw a future that low value get dealt truly. Um, I do have a memory, though, of uh, of a trade being negotiated for a depth player that uh, that the Panthers had no use for one year. And, um, it, you know, what what was the cost, asked someone on the other line. And uh, a seventh-round pick before 2030 came the answer from our side. So, um, you know, I've been in the room for similar negotiations, but truly, at four drafts from now, the Canucks will surrender a seventh-round pick. This is, you know, throw out your Economics 101 textbook. This is a free lunch. This is a free lunch. And yet I felt like the conversation around it, Jamie, was like, what a steal for the Canucks. Like, make no mistake, the price paid for Kraftsov heavily implies that he was going on waivers this weekend, and the Canucks paid slightly more than nothing to jump the waiver queue ahead of, you know, Bill Armstrong and Yarmo Kekalainen and some of the other general managers who might also enjoy a free lunch. Like, that's what happened. And, and hey, by the way, totally worthwhile. A totally worthwhile gamble. For me, this doesn't fall into the realm of the, you know, Stanika, Bear, Stillman type trades. It falls more closely into the realm of like the Kuzmenko, Amon, yeah. Joshua signing because this is really, you know, uh, you know, yeah, it wasn't free. It was a penny or two, but man, it was, it was close. essentially free. As I think a getting, no a, risk getting ahead of the waiver order is the right way of looking at it, right? Like yeah. you're basically, he was going to be made available for free to any team in the league who wanted him. We all know why, because the Rangers have this incredible cap crunch. They have to do everything they can to clear the decks to make the Patrick Kane thing fit uh, by the deadline. So there's this kind of special opportunity where if you give the the merest value, the lowest value you can possibly give in an NHL trade, you get the player. That's what the Canucks did. And look, I'm. we'll see. We'll, we'll talk to Shayna. That's actually why we plan to have Shayna Goldman <laughs> on. Before until, she set the world well, on fire. Well, it's great, because we're going to have her on to talk Kratzov. Then the Timo Meyer deal happens, and she's locked in on the Devils, too, so that's great. Yeah, and she, then... <laughs> she reported a bunch of the, those yeah, details first. Exactly. And then she goes and, and makes it even better by uh, getting some JT Miller 
uh, reporting going on last night. So we'll talk to Shane a little bit about Kratsov and his game. I have no idea. I'm not going to sit here and say he will work or he won't work. I've seen Vancouver, him play a couple of games. It's different than the you know, the, the nightmare of the reclamation project idea, right? Immediately you start to think of Lyndon Vay and Sven Berchi. The cost is just in Emerson Edom. It's in a completely different world. Mikhail Granlund. When it's Andre free, when it's free and you have the space, <laughs> yeah, no problem. Well, no problem whatsoever. And and we'll get into this a little bit more with uh, as we pivot to talking about what was really one of the most remarkable NHL news days in recent memory yeah. on Sunday. But you know, the thing about those trades is on the day of, people can dream on the player because he's certain, right? The certainty bias thing we talk about, mm-hmm. and downplay the draft pick because it feels like a lottery ticket, right? But the problem for a team like the Canucks in doing those deals is that, you know, not only are these guys like actually less likely (laughs) than the draft pick to pan out, even though they feel nearer, but the games they're likely to give you are immediate where the Canucks, when the Canucks aren't good. Whereas if a draft pick hits in three, four years, the upside of that, particularly because the player will be cost controlled for a bunch of seasons is massive, right? Um, even if this guy hits, they get to unrestricted free agency or restricted free agency in like, you know, in Ethan Bear's case, six months. You know, in Riley yep. Stillman, like if Riley Stillman had come in and crushed this opportunity, he'd be a UFA after next year. You get, you know, this runway of time where they're affordable to you in which you're not even good enough to take advantage of that surplus value anyway. So, so take the picks. You have to marshal your resources to matter in the future. You know, getting, getting games now... You can find guys off waivers to give you that. Like, you can find guys for free. So long as these bets, these sorts of eye upside bets are free, the European free agent market, uh, the Kratzov-type trade, fine. You know, I'm, I, in sort of spelling out the strategy, I'm not suggesting the team should stop trying to improve. But you have to be super mindful of saving your bullets for what matters. And that brings us to Sunday, where, where a Tanner Janot trade, uh, a Timo Meyer trade too, but for some reason it feels like the Tanner Janot trade is the one that broke... The internet in some ways. Well, it was kind of the cherry on top of a very busy, a busy day. And a or busy the champagne weekend. glass on top and <laughs> sure. broke the, uh, broke <laughs> yeah. the internet. But obviously, well, first of all, everyone was just dying, waiting to hear what the Timo Meyer return was going to be after it was, was it, announced. Was it, and there was like two or three hours before we found out what was going the other we way. We were in the Timo Meyer news desert waiting yes. for an oasis of updates <laughs> exactly. from Frank Saravalli. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the Tanner Janot hit. And it's just, it's so striking to see. I mean, he basically... It was like an NBA trade deadline return, right? Like, that's what everyone went for at the NBA Good trade point. deadline was the five second round picks. That's essentially what they did for Tanner Janot. They're like, we're just going to clear out our draft capital. None of them are particularly valuable picks because we're Tampa Bay and we're always really, really good. So we'll make up for in quantity what we can't give you in quality. Here's a ton of assets. Here's like, what was it? It was a pick in each of the first five rounds spread out over different years, I believe. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so that trade, I think, has confused a lot of people. I loved Julian Brisebois' commentary added. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to read. This is Julian Brisebois on the price paid for Tanner Genot. At the end of the day, I know there's a perceived value of those picks, but we have a really good idea of what the actual value of those picks are. Individually, you can go, what's that first round pick worth? What's that second round pick worth? And so forth and so on. When we look at what that's worth to us, based on the odds of those picks turning into good NHL players down the road, I'd rather have the good NHL player right now for this season and next and help this group win right now because I know what the odds are of those picks turning into players. I also know what the odds are of those picks turning into players that can help us win while we have this group of players right now in their prime ready to go on and Another long run. The odds of that are zero. This is the flip side of what I'm talking about with the 
um, with the sort of age gap trades and why they're a problem, right? Like you have to think about teams having value in various exact parts of their roster. Draft picks, any asset is going to be worth different things to different teams, right? That's right. why teams are able to make trades at the trade deadline because yes. a first round pick next year or this year is worth a lot more to one team than it is to another team. This is just an extreme example of that. It's an example taken to an extreme that we don't normally see Correct. in the NHL. Well, and the reason we don't normally see it in the NHL is as follows, okay? Because we think about value in the form of players, like players on your team, right? Draft mm -hmm. picks that you know, will turn into players on your team and prospects in your system that will hopefully turn into players on your team. Where I think we really struggle to explain and understand valuation from a team like Tampa Bay's perspective is when it comes to cap space. Okay, cap space in particular. And, and I think we've gotten better at understanding the value of cap space. Like, you know, uh, the, the obnoxious use of weaponize your mm -hmm, cap space mm -hmm. in this market would be a testament to that. But... I still think from the perspective of Tampa Bay, what's missed in why they pay these massive prices for these guys is cap space is not a normal asset in that, like, as you get good, you have more good players, for example. Like, that makes sense to everybody. Yeah. Right? But also, as you get good, you exhaust cap space necessarily. Right? You can't be both good and really preserve your cap space. Like, that's it's just too hard. It doesn't last long. You might be have a window of one or two years there where yeah. your guys are still young or whatever, but it's not lasting long. But you have to, you have to spend to stay good. You have to spend yeah. to be good, frankly, in the NHL. And, and as you get closer and tighter and tighter to the cap and better and better as Tampa Bay has, what that does is it changes your calculation, as Breeze was alluding to here, about the value of futures particularly because people will say stuff like well there's huge opportunity cost in getting tanner Janot because you're losing draft picks that you could use to acquire other players but in tampa bay's case that's actually kind of not true right tampa bay can't acquire other players like tampa bay can't even call up a guy so from the minors the, yeah they're so up against cap and after this season they're they already have 80 million committed that's with alex Kalorn expiring you think he's being re-signed Right? Like, no chance. So Tampa Bay's like they're they're fixed. So where other teams can look out at their options, and honestly, even other contenders, teams like the New York Rangers, and be like, well, we can use a pick for that team to do a double retention and a pick for this and a prospect for that. Tampa Bay's like, We have we have to find a guy under a million dollars. Who are we gonna find? And so they're willing to pay first a first round pick for Barkley Gaudreau at a at a moment in time when everyone's like, What? What? How does that make sense? They're willing to pay a, a two first-round picks for Brandon Hagel because he helps them for multiple years. And they're willing to pay a boatload of assets for Tanner Janot because he's the best of the $1 million targets. Would and you rather have Janot or Sam Lafferty is effectively the question that Tampa Bay is asking. And years. I would point out with Janot, he's not cost-controlled in the same way that Brandon Hagel was where he's under contract no. for next year, but he's still an RFA. And yeah, he had a great rookie year last year. So coming he, off a down year. But he's coming off a down year. So... And they, they have a chance to get him for an affordable deal for next year as well. He still is cost-controlled in that way. And a 900K qualifying offer, which is really key. Like, do you want to understand why Timo Meyer's price didn't knock you off your seat? $10 million yeah. qualifying offer. You want to you want to understand why everyone thought the DeBrinket deal was such a steal for Ottawa? $9.5 million qualifying offer, right? I mean, there's a reason that the only player benefit, basically, contractual benefit that the NHL was really targeted about rolling back in the omnibus CBA agreement that included return to play was 
changing the calculation for offer uh, qualifying offers. Like players did too well on them in that you know Besser, Meyer, DeBrinket class of second contract guys. So here we are. Here we are. And I, I think I think that the Leafs trade that went down today with Lafferty and McCabe is a great example of this as well. They have Jake yes. McCabe for two more years after this one at just two million dollars now. He's got three years left. Yeah. Wow. This year plus two more after this one at just two million per for a guy that they probably think is a top four defenseman. No. Right. I don't think so. At the very least, he's going to be he's going to play minutes for them. Like, so, he's going to play big minutes. He will, but the market didn't think of him as a top four defenseman, or he would have demanded it's still an awful a lot really more. good cost. Like, well, they gave up a first round pick and a second and a second, but that that's partly because Chicago retains Retain, to make him they a got two million Lafferty. dollar player. But still, my if point the is, market viewed him as a four million dollar top four pick, he would have gotten a first and sure. second without Chicago making an additional financial. They point. got McCabe two for this year plus two more at two million and, and Lafferty Sam Lafferty five hundred k ish. Yeah. <laughs> for next for for this year and next it's the same principle right like it's the same principle where you get so expensive and so good mm-hmm. that marginal improvement becomes more expensive to make because your target pool of players that you can actually fit onto your roster in a way that can help you becomes extremely remote um, but I also think, just to quickly address this comment that comes in, uh, this one unsigned, after seeing recent trades, it seems like Vancouver got ripped off by the Islanders for Horvat. I think he's probably alluding to the Lafferty, uh, uh, McCabe deals and the Jeannot deals. But again, those guys have cost control beyond this year that Horvat didn't get. Plus, they got an incredibly high value first round pick in the Horvat deal. Well, so I also disagree with everybody saying stuff like this. Like, go read the protections on the... Um, McCabe Lafferty trade. Like again, the 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 picks. All of this is conditional. The picks are top ten protected. Like the Islanders were conscious of the fact that the Canucks were buying a short position against them that could result in something really high value. Uh, Don Waddell was was aware that Vancouver was going Stutzla level Bowen Byram type pick hunting in the Bo Horvat trade. Um, the fact is is that Bo Horvat's returned to the biggest package of deadline season to this point. Like no other team has given up a first their their top prospect other than the New York Islanders. Uh no team has given up a first round pick of the value that the New York Islanders gave up for Bo Horvat. In terms of premium assets netted, the Canucks did best of any team that we've seen at the deadline to this point and I don't think Patrick Kane's going to get more than like a second. Like oh, I don't he, think he's not getting more than Bo Horvat. No, no, no. That's for sure. Like I think people are going to be shocked. Yes. Like I think there's going to be sticker shock at how little the Rangers. That's had been to the pick. reporting out of Chicago. Is yeah. brace yourself for an underwhelming return there. Well, I, but brace yourself. He has for no a move clause. What brace, are you going to do? Brace yourself for a world where McCabe and Lafferty get you know generate more in Sig- return yeah. than Patrick Kane. If you potentially if you, significantly more. Yeah. Potentially, like if you if you're struggling to understand the concepts we're talking about, just just let that marinate and deal with it when you see the return. And and just final thing on this. If there's any retrospective criticism that I think makes any sense at all of the Canucks Bo Horvat trade, which, you know, truly, I'm actually probably, having seen the market unfold, I'm actually more impressed by the Canucks return than I was 30 days ago. Uh, the only thing that I sort of am looking at and wondering if the Canucks misread the market in any in any way, because I think they nailed the valuation on Horvat, would be taking back the Beauvillier deal, right? No one else, basically, like other than Lafferty and, and McCabe, who there's heavy retention involved, other than Niederreiter, who Winnipeg paid in part because they can't retract free, attract free agents, other than Zaitsev, who they had to pay the Chicago Blackhawks to take on. We just haven't seen other guys with term move. Other buyers, 
uh, or sorry, other buyers who were accommodated financially paid for the privilege. The Canucks retained on Horvat and took back one of the very few deals with term that we've seen moved. And it doesn't feel like they necessarily were paid to do all of that. But again, probably okay, considering the premium assets netted. That's my sort of retrospective based on the flurry of moves we've seen. Uh yeah, we'll take a quick break here. Shana Goldman of The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast again. She had the JT Miller trade speculation report last night. We'll also dive into Vitaly Kratsov and the Timo Meyer fit in New Jersey with Shana. That's up next. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands, live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We're going to take a break from me bloviating and uh, yes. and, and talk to Shana. Uh, yeah, I just have to do one more read. No, all good. I just got challenged by a uh, a oh, texter. Said, Stop a bloviating. Texter. No, who said? Who said? I wonder if Durant can drop the word bloviate today. And it's like, of course I can. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Ch- challenge accepted. No problem. Uh, NHL trade deadline coverage is brought to you by Maui Gym sunglasses. Born on the beaches of Hawaii, Maui Gym sunglasses are designed with polarized plus two lenses that protect eyes from harmful rays and enhance the view. Try on a pair and see for yourself. As you mentioned, Drancer, now very pleased to be joined on the line from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Uh, you hear her fairly regularly here on the show. She is Shayna Goldman. Uh, Shayna, how are you? I'm good. How are you? We're great. And we were, I mean, we're always excited to have you on the show. And the plan was we'll get you on to talk a little bit about Vitaly Kratsov, the Canucks getting him from the Rangers. And we'll we still know, do that. We'll still do that. We know <laughs> you'll have a lot to say about him. Then the Timo Meyer trade, and you're locked in on the Devils as well. So that's perfect. That's another great reason. And then last night, Shayna, the cherry on top, it was absolutely perfect. Uh, you drop on Twitter about 10 o'clock Vancouver time. One name emerging as a potential deadline move over the last day or so is. Is JT Miller and of course anytime you put something like that out for Canucks Twitter uh, we get very very excited <laughs> out here now there's the injury situation developing with JT Miller he, the team says he's out week to week who knows what that does uh, to a potential Miller trade before the deadline but even just the the idea of a team trading for JT Miller we get so many questions right like does he have positive value would teams give you anything how much would you have to retain would you have to pay to get off of it the idea, let, let's say, let's not say at the deadline, but let's say even at the draft, right before his no trade clause cooks in or uh, kicks in. What do you think realistically a JT Miller trade would look like? I really don't know. Like, it's such an intriguing situation because how often do you have a deal that a player's already locked in for a massive contract that hasn't even started? Yeah. And there's talk about them being moved. It's such a wild situation. And now you add in the wrinkles of the cap hasn't gone up as much as it possibly could. Maybe there's going to be wrinkles of the cap not going up as much as it could in the future from here because of, you know, regional sports networks in the U.S. having so many issues. Then you add in the fact that everybody in the Eastern Conference has loaded up. So if you're in the East, you need to figure out something if you haven't already. And the biggest, you know, trade chip is now off the table in Timo Meyer. But then you also add in the wild card of the fact that the West has done nothing. So 
there's so many things going on that can help and hurt a trade. It helps that teams are going to need someone big to compete right now if you're in the East or if you're in the West to really separate yourself from the pack, hopefully make it to the final and go against these Eastern Conference teams that are just completely loaded at this point. But it really does hurt that the cap situation might not be getting better when it already isn't a bad place to start. So what could it look like? It really depends on the situation. It depends on who's going to be interested. Is this going to be the Canucks paying someone to take that contract off their hands? Is it going to be a future considerations type thing where, you know, the win is just gaining the cap space and that's it? Or is it going to be a team legitimately paying for him if he were to move? I'm not sure. But I like that we still have some spice because so much is happening and the deadline hasn't even happened yet. I certainly like it as well, Shane. And again, just looking ahead on JT Miller a little bit to the summer again, you know, one thing we've started to hear is that, okay, maybe teams get to just before free agency, they take a look at who's actually going to hit free agency, and they realize it's not a particularly compelling class this year. And if you are going to make a big splash, maybe JT Miller is the route to go, and you almost just look at it as you're signing him as a UFA to that brand new deal. Do you see any kind of compelling logic to that line of thought, that the weakness of the UFA class could spur more teams uh, to look to, to look at JT Miller? If I'm a general manager, do I do that? Absolutely not. But I'm not a general manager, and we see them make mistakes all the time. So would someone accept that contract? Yes. Um, and it's like it's really not me trying to just like rip on his game. It's just the fact that it's such a big contract for a player that I don't think is dominant enough at 5-on-5. Five five. We see a lot of power play scoring, and yes, we see 5-on-5 five five scoring, but for that number and that the clauses, the term, and the money put together, that should be superstar game-breaking player that I don't think he is. Especially the fact that we we know pretty well that he's not the perfect center. He's better on the wing, and centers are more valuable. So could a general manager talk themselves into it? Absolutely. They can talk themselves into anything. Ben Chirot could go for a first-round pick. Anything can happen in this league. Uh, Tanner Janot can go for as many draft picks as he has goals this year. So truly, who among us knows what you know a general manager is thinking? And if they can talk themselves into it, I wouldn't be surprised if they could. Anything can happen in, on the trade market, right? Not in the playoffs? <laughs> Both. No! No! Hey, Shana. Um, sorry. <laughs> it's a running bit we do on my show. I, I push back against the idea that anything can happen. It's uh, Anyway, I didn't mean to get upset with you. Um, thank you for joining us. So, <laughs> a lot of apologies from me today, bud. Shana, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on or get you to elaborate on the Jeannot trade, and, and in particular on McCabe. So you brought up Ben Chirot, and I, I, I'm going to digress with the conversation here, but McCabe's a fascinating one to me because it feels like the mistakes that we see on the trade market and in free agency so often revolve around this player type, like the, the defensive defenseman and how they'll sort of function on a new team. What did you think of McCabe from a Maple Leafs perspective, and are you surprised that he didn't seem to be valued? as a top four defenseman uh, around the league? I think teams need to get better at isolating player value. I think we all need to get better at this and understanding what a player does in one system might not equal what they're going to do in another system. And if he was racking up blocks, hits, and things like that, and was super showy, I think there'd be a different opinion about him because those reactionary plays are what everybody clings to because we're all super biased and we think of the highlight reel moment and it might be a huge block shot or something like that or a really big hit even if it does it help does it hurt is a different conversation entirely with McCabe I do think that teams shortchange themselves by putting assets together in most situations um 
I'm a little surprised there wasn't more for him. And, and maybe it's because Orlov didn't go for as much. It kind of set the bar lower than it should be. Because, again, you had a case of a team stacking assets and not getting what they should have backed, in my opinion. Um, and that threw cold water on maybe, at least, uh, a repeat of last year's deadline where Gab- uh, I'm sorry, where Sherratt went for so much and Jeremy Lazan went for so much. And we saw these, like, ridiculous prices. This year, maybe if Gavrikov set the bar there, then an actually good, really strong defenseman like Orloff would have gone for more, and maybe someone like McCabe would have gone for more. Um, but I, I actually think he's a good shutdown defenseman, and, and he's someone that can really absorb tough minutes. And I I am very like keen on the idea that he's going to do better outside of Chicago, a team that has struggled in recent years systematically, um, whether it was under Carlton, you know, under King, they simplified things. But it, it, it was it was – the most basic of systems and you know they did better to protect the middle for like a minute and things still fell apart because the quality of the roster you can only do so much and then you know this year it's going in a different direction with Richardson as well I think at the end of the day there's only so much Chicago could do even if they had the perfect systems in place because of the team around them so and and that goes for defensively and offensively they don't have players who can push the pace of play consistently and it's going to drag on their defense Toronto's the complete opposite of that. So I think that they could take a player like McCabe pretty confidently and go, he's going to be the difference maker, a difference maker that we could use on the back end. He doesn't have to be our perfect number one defenseman. He's not elite all around, but he can take on the tough minutes and, you know, provide support, which is what you need. So Shana, among players moved with term over a million. Okay. We have McCabe, we have Niederreiter, we have Beauvillier, and we have Zaitsev. That's the entirety of what we've seen since the Canucks sort of kicked off deadline season for Horvat. You mentioned uh, sort of uncertainty cap-wise uh, as a result of the U.S. broadcast deal. Given the level of sort of commitment conservatism we've seen from NHL GM- GMs at the deadline to this point, um, do you think it's fair to say that that conservatism or, or at least um, con- continued caution about the state of NHL cap growth is still sort of shaping the NHL trade market? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a risk to taking on someone with term because you don't know, you know, what, what are your pending free agents going to be asking for? How is your cap picture going to be changing? But I think some teams might look at it and go, but if we have the certainty now, we're in a better position in the summer because we know exactly what we can and can't do. Um, and it's going to be, Super interesting to see how teams handle it. And do we see more teams sell pieces like Zaitsev and attach draft picks to them to clear the space that they need? You know, how many teams are going to have to pay another team to to save them from themselves, from past or current contracts that they signed? Um, It's really interesting. I don't think we're seeing as much uh, caution as we have before. It seemed like we had total caution for a minute, no term on players. You, you know, we had, what, a year there that no one was getting those seven or eight-year deals except for, like, the elite of the elite. Um, so it feels like everyone is still kind of, like, operating status quo from this year, but I do wonder if we see this summer maybe some start, you know, tightening the belts just a little bit without the certainty of, you know, how things are going to progress moving forward. In conversation with Shana Goldman of The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast here, Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 6. Fifty. Uh, so I did want to get into uh, the trade the Canucks made with the Rangers to bring uh, Vitaly Kratsov uh, from New York to the Canucks organization. Paid 
very, very minimal cost, about as low as you can get uh, in a trade to get the player. We all know about the pedigree, obviously ninth overall pick in 2018, but it did not work out in New York. What went wrong for Kratzov with the New York Rangers, Shanna? What didn't go wrong? Everything went wrong. Um, New York is a really interesting one when it comes to young prospects, and that is not ideal for a team that was rebuilding or as quickly as they did it. Um, there, there really is some odd disconnect with the Rangers and forward prospects. Uh, and, you know, one theory could be it's been different for defensemen than forwards because they don't have the same defensive depth that they can throw someone like Adam Fox or Kendra Miller immediately into tough minutes, let them play through it because they have no other options. And up front, that's not the case. You have veterans up there like Chris Kreider and like Artemi Panarin who can rightfully so take top six minutes and that's going to block the path of other players. With Kravtsov, everything went wrong with his original stint in the AHL to his return to Russia, which, you know, you can, I don't want to say make excuses for, because I feel like that's such a disservice to the player, but you can justify, you know, here's a player thrown into the AHL, which maybe isn't perfect for his game. He, you know, it's a new language, new experience, a new everything. And I think even if you go, okay, clean slate going into year two, there was still friction between you know, some in the front office and the player. And then when opportunity arose, you know, there was then to connect between coaches and the players they were given on the roster to an extent too. So, and, and then there was an injury mixed in earlier in the year. So it's just, it's been like a series of unfortunate events for Kraftsoff, but he hasn't cracked an NHL roster. I think he really should have at this, at this point to at least see if he can sink or swim. And from for most, most of this season, it doesn't feel like he got that opportunity. He would get a fourth-line role where we all knew his game wasn't, you know, it, 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 would, it didn't make sense there uh, based on the style that some teams want for their fourth line, based on the quality of teammates he had that aren't going to help elevate his game or highlight him or allow him to stand out. And then there's the usage concerns and all of that. So he would, you know, very quickly go back to the press box, which – is less than ideal because he just didn't get a chance uh, to really show what he could do. And sure, there were points where he could have stood out a little bit more individually as well, but it, it just feels like it was a huge missed opportunity for a team that should have been focused on that forward development, despite the fact that they have NHL caliber wingers and um, should want all of your young players to thrive because that's how you extend your window. And when you balance entry-level talent and very cheap players with the big contracts that you have, you have a better chance of not having to sell players for parts and, you know, attach draft picks to get rid of them to clear cap space. So this is going to be a totally different experience for the player, ideally. So he gets that chance to, to shine and prove whether or not he's a true NHLer. Shana, how do you evaluate a, a sort of, like a bigger skilled forward who it seems from the description of Kratzov, the, you know, needs to play in the top six comes up. And I think we associate that, or at least we're surprised, I think, to hear that term used to describe a guy who's six foot three, right? Why does he tend to have that label? How much riskier does that make him as an acquisition from Vancouver's perspective? So his game isn't really based in his physicality. So despite having size, it's, it's all about the skill game and it helps to have players that can facilitate that. It helps to have, if you're a good passer, have someone that can actually finish your chances because we don't talk about passes unless they end up as assists so often. And, you know, if you're a good goal scorer, if you're doing it by yourself, 
you know, maybe it doesn't click. Maybe you need someone to help, you know, transport the puck for you and, and support your game. And in some cases with young players, and we've seen it, you know, Jack Hughes is a good example of this too. Like it's giving them that five on five time and giving them that power play time and putting them in the position to succeed from the start, letting them gain confidence. And then from there, you know, developing them into a play driver for their line and things like that. So it's, you know, this is a player that I think is super skilled. I think he's best in a top six, but I could see him starting in the middle six. I could see him starting on the third line as long as he's not with replacement level players that aren't going to do anything for his game because I don't think he's at the levels of other wingers around the league of these, you know, they jump into the league after being a top 10 pick and they're all of a sudden a game breaker and, you know, day one. Those are, those are rare. And I think we're so spoiled by some of the ones we've seen that we expect everybody to be that if they're, you know, a top 10 pick. What does Kratsov have to improve in his own game uh, beyond just getting the opportunity to stick in the NHL? Um, you know, I think a little more strength on the puck is never a bad thing. Uh, just finding that consistency, finding that confidence, finding that certainty. I think everybody is so quick to look at young offensive players. If that's how they're branded, a young offensive player, and go, well, what about the defensive side of the puck? I don't care about that. And I think in Vancouver especially, I don't care about that where they are. This is not a contender. This is not a team that needs to like be concerned about that. You can teach defensive structure you need to first handle the offense and let them play to their strengths so I think just building that confidence and kind of seeing what he can do how he can cook at the NHL level is like first and foremost and then I think the building blocks come otherwise and sometimes there's a little bit more like positional awareness has he put himself in you know in a position that could contribute to an injury or could hurt him or could lead to a bad player turnover absolutely but that's the same for any player and I think sometimes the player's background might lead the narratives on that too and carry a little bit too much weight so yeah I think I think that there is a lot of room for growth um, and a lot of room for skilled coaches and head coaches to help maximize his ability but I think the ability is there if they can you know it's just it's just a matter of building on it like any other young player. Shane, I really appreciate the time and the insight, uh, and we will uh, we'll be watching your Twitter feed closely for more JT Miller updates. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Of course, our pleasure. That is Shana Goldman. Thanks, Shana. Uh, from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Uh, and yeah, enjoy their, her perspective on uh, Vitaly Kratsov as well. She uh, seems high on the plan. Yeah, relatively high for sure. And I, I we've all seen this dynamic play out, right? Where you get caught in this negative feedback loop with a young offensive player, right? Where it's, oh, they have to get, they have to be, they have to learn to play a certain way. They have to learn these details on the defensive game. They keep getting out of the lineup and then they come back in and one giveaway and all of a sudden they're stapled back on the bench. And then it's, well, they're not producing either, but they're not getting minutes to produce. And it it can get negative in a hurry. The thing is though, is like sometimes, so, you know, you you think about the NHL as a funnel, Mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, it's like only the best players on your youth hockey team play, right. you know, in major or junior, and then only the best players can make it and be productive in the AHL, and then the best players make it to the NHL, and then in the NHL there's another funnel, right? And it's like only the very best of the very best of the very best of the very best are offensive players in the NHL. Yep. And at some point, you know, if you're going to stay, whether you're picked in the top 10 or whether you're picked last overall, whether you're Tanner Janot and we're in the coast two years ago, it comes down to whether or not you can round out your game. Can you become Valerie Nachushkin, right? Like, if you're not going to be the top-line scorer, what can you do to round out your game to stay in the league? And, you know, in Nachushkin's case, what's funny is he goes back down to, like, a fourth-line role, 
master sort of the play without the puck mm-hmm. and becomes the first liner again in a totally different style than it, he was expected than it was expected of him uh, when he was first like crushing it on a line with Yarmir Yager and uh, what Jamie Ben <laughs> or sorry no it was Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan as a rookie so you know that's one thing that a lot of talent evaluators I've talked about Kratzov with over the past few days have, have sort of pointed out is the question at some point becomes, especially because he's 23, not can he be a top six forward, but can he round out his game and find another way to contribute? Uh, Canucks will begin to find out. Looks like this evening, right? Yeah, per uh, per Dan Murphy, it looks like Kratzov set to play with Jax Danica and Brock Besser. And of course, with no JT Miller, uh, the center situation behind Elias Pettersson becomes interesting. Uh, Niels Amon, Sheldon Dries, Jackson Nika, and Atu Ratu, the options available at center for Rick Tockett. So a a little bit unfortunate for Kratzov, right? He's not going to have a high-level centerman to play with in his Canucks debut, but it sounds like Studnika and Besser are going to be his line mates. So we'll see. (laughs) We'll see what he can do with that. There you go. Uh, yeah, but we'll, that was one of the things to watch for tonight. Yeah, was, I don't know. Well, I mean, and where, and where do they put him on the power play? And yeah. no, that, I mean that's I'm genuinely interested to see how you know players like him and and Atu Ratu like what they show over the balance. I'm really just interested to see what Ratu's minutes look like and Kratzov's yeah. at that for that matter as and, well. And I'm here for the Anthony Beauvillier is this year's Matthew Highmore glow up. Right, the like down the stretch. Well, Matthew Highmore crushed it down the stretch in 21. Sure. Okay. That's Beauvillier right now. Right, but it's, they're different types of players, and Beauvillier is in a different situation. I don't different know about Matthew Highmore, different caliber, yeah. Of course. I just think Beauvillier, I mean, I've been looking at him as a like next year's trade deadline interesting piece. Is he mm-hmm. like an interesting piece for teams that strike out in free agency this summer? If you retain, like that's... Oh, if you retain, sure. You know what I mean? I, I think yeah, that's $2 million Beauvillier. As the Canucks continue to acquire winger after winger after winger, Yeah, <laughs> I think that becomes oh, an interesting discussion. Although I do think we're going to get into a point where producing with Pedersen is like side-eyed by people around the league. Yeah, that's why you got to strike before it becomes that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got you to gotta do well, the deal before people realize and that. You gotta, and you got to stop. Like, It's one thing for Mikheyev to do it. It's one thing for Andre Kuzmenko to do it. But once Lane Peterson does it, the secret gets out. So you have to find that sweet spot. Yeah, you have to be careful. Right, where you're like, and I think Beauvillier hits that sweet spot because he has a, a track record of being an NHL player, right? Yeah, He's yeah. not Lane Peterson. So teams aren't going to say, well, it's, you know, like Lane Peterson gives the game away. Right, because it's clearly only producing because he's with Elias Pettersson to a certain extent. Teams might not think that with Anthony Bavillier. Anyways, this is getting very uh, twelve-dimensional chess here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it's actually going to play out that way. Yeah, it's just, you know what? It's just fun to keep in mind. Like it's important context that right now Pettersson's on such a ridiculous heater that anyone who plays with him, right? Like career third liner, guy who's never played in the NHL before, Lane Peterson. Like, yep. <laughs> no matter who you put with him, they're putting up points. They're eating. Uh, We'll take a quick break. Gemma Karsten-Smith on the other side. Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. 
Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Okay, very quickly, a little bit of non-hockey, non-Canucks breaking news that producer Dom insisted I mention off the top of the segment. Uh, Nick Bontis has resigned as the president of Canada Soccer. So there you go. There's your Canada Soccer update here on Canucks Talk. Uh, I did it. I did it, Producer Dom. You can rest easy. You can sleep easy at night now. Uh, and with that out of the way, we will get back into the, the Canucks. Canucks talk. Yes. Uh, it's not like it's a busy week or anything or a lot going on around the NHL, but glad we made time for that Canada soccer update. Uh, now joining us, as she does every Monday, she covers the Canucks for the Canadian press. She is Gemma Carsten-Smith. Gemma, how are you? Great. I also cover soccer. Yes, so, I was going to uh, say, is this relevant? <laughs> For you. The Canada soccer news is big. Nick Bontis out is a, a big deal. I think that that's something that um, both the men's and women's team have been calling for uh, more transparency from Canada soccer. And I think that this is um, definitely a move that will be met favorably by both sides. But let's talk about something else entirely. Yes, uh, we'll, we'll look forward for more excellent coverage uh, from you in the Canadian press on, <laughs> uh, on Nick Bontis at some point. But we will shift our attention to the Vancouver Canucks uh, and man less than a week to go till the trade deadline now it is a very exciting very busy time of year uh, and let's start with uh, hearing from Canucks defenseman Quinn Hughes Gemma I'll let you set it up for us yeah so if we all think back to exactly one week ago we were you guys were threatening to interrupt um, this incredible segment um, yes. for Luke Shen watch um, one week later, we're in the exact same spot. Um, Hughes, uh, his sometimes line mate, Quinn Hughes, speaking about what exactly the veteran defenseman means to the Canucks. You know, he's a great teammate, great person. He's a winner, and I don't just say that because he, you know, won. I just say that because the way he carries himself day in, day out. And, you know, he's a good person. He's a good teammate. He sticks up for people in here. And, you know, I've seen things like this. Um, the closest thing I can compare it to is, you know, Chris Tanev. So, for me, I just... Uh, like I said, I've seen it before, and it sucks, but at the same time, you said it yourself, it's a business, and it's going to shake out how it shakes out, and none of us know how that's going how it's going to happen. Gemma, I have no idea uh, what Quinn Hughes and the other players are thinking, but are you surprised that Luke Shen has not been traded now a week since that decision was made? Yeah, I, I am surprised. I thought that when we saw um, that Luke Shen was coming back to Vancouver, that uh, that meant something was imminent. Um, I'm I'm very surprised that it hasn't shaken out yet. Um, it's I mean it just it just shows that this trade de- deadline is uh, expect the unexpected if you're a Big Brother fan. Um, it's just there's there's so many things at play and with the salary cap being so tight, so many teams are so close up to it um, that I the moves that we expect to be made aren't happening as um, quickly as expected. <laughs> Do you make anything of the stands up for people? Comment? I wanted to talk about that. I figured you might. Yes. <laughs> I, it, I thought that was really interesting. Um, it, we've talked about Hughes saying the quiet parts out loud, and uh, I think that was one of them. I think that um, we've heard a lot of, uh, speculation, rumors, chatter about dissent within the locker room. Um, I thought it was really interesting that Hughes alluded to Shen being a guy that everyone, well, that some guys in the room trust, including Hughes. And we know that Hughes is um, 
been tight with Shen for a long time. They've been line mates. They were line mates when Shen first came out, uh, and Hughes is a much younger player, really trying to get his footing in the league and get established. So I'm not, I'm not surprised that he uh, and Shen have that close of a relationship because uh, something that I think we knew. But um, I was definitely surprised to hear him say he sticks up for other guys in the room. I'd love to know more about what he meant there. For Canucks players dealing with this, um, you know, on some level, obviously it's it's tough for the teams that sell at the deadline, right? Like there's just a certain sense of hopelessness that that brings when your team is subtracted from. Um, and, and obviously the opposite when, when your team is adding, right? Um, how much do you think that difficulty was present in the Hughes commentary that you played? Yeah, I think that I think it was present. Um, I think that, like you said, this is never an easy time of year for anyone. Even if you know that you're not going anywhere, because you know um, your friends, your teammates, these guys that you spend more time with than your families, they're at risk, right? Um, And that's tough. Uh, Your line mates, things are going to change. I think that you can hear that from Hughes. I think it's also tough because this team is in such flux. Um, we all know how thin this, this squad is on defense, especially now after Saturday and, uh, and that injury that took out bear. Uh, he's now on IR. So it's, it's like, things are not getting better with this uh, defensive core anytime soon. And I think you look at the minutes Hughes has played in the last couple of weeks here. He's, he's like approaching 30 minutes per game. That's not easy on anyone. Um, especially when you're expected to do Hughes-like things. I thought the reference to Chris Tanev from Quinn Hughes was really telling as well, Gemma, because, of course, we know how successful they were as a pairing, and then really the next most stable and successful partnership he's had is with Luke Shen. So from Hughes's perspective, he might be looking at, you know, another one of uh, a very reliable teammates of his leaving, and we're kind of at this point now where the question of, when and if they're going to find a long-term partner for Quinn Hughes is a a very, very serious one for this team. Well, and both of those guys kind of acted as mentors for Quinn Hughes, right? Like, they they were more than line mates. Um, They were uh, big brother-type figures for Quinn Hughes um, and helped him grow into who he is today. I don't know that he needs that kind of partner moving forward I don't know if he needs that same kind of veteran presence on his side but he does need like a consistent line mate poor kid um it's just it's too hard in this league to be swapping out your line mate every game um you need some of that chemistry you need to be able to to make those passes and just know where that guy is so you can make that pass without having to telegraph it. And talk and talked a few weeks ago about um, half seconds mean a lot in this league. That's where you see it is with guys who are, have consistent line mates and have uh, consistent chemistry. Right. Um, so I think that that's what Quinn Hughes wants. And I think that anyone who wants to see this team and Quinn Hughes have success in the forward, in the future going forward should want that for him too uh, speaking of rick talkett next up we have a quote from the canucks head coach yes after falling behind uh, against both the predators and the blues last week the canucks clawed back uh their way into both games let's listen to talk talk about what uh those kinds of performances do for his evolving squad yeah resiliency is you know it's character 
you know, it's believing in things, you know, uh, it's not giving up, you know. I know uh, we're in the standings where we're at, and but the guys, you know, they want to give an effort every night. You know, we're, we're going to have our bumps in, you know, in the road every once in a while. But I think for the most part, uh, you know, like I said, these type of wins coming back from Nashville, you know, it builds, it does build character and it builds something, you know, it builds a foundation. Gemma, are you buying that those types of wins in this at this time of the season, right, when we all know the Canucks are out of it, does that mean anything going forward for the team? Are you buying what Rick Tockett is selling there? I am not. I am not buying what Rick Tockett is selling there. I think I, I get what he's saying, and I think it, it goes along with his whole process. It's not the results that matter. It's the process. I'd rather have hard practices than win games, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's still you're still seeing the reason that the, the, the Canucks went down in both of those games is that we saw the same mistakes, right? We're still seeing these bad habits creep in. So, I mean, is the process really working? I, I think that there's still a lot of work to be done. The team has kept games closer, it feels like, over the past week. Uh, Obviously, we've seen the comebacks. Uh, You know, they had the big comeback win. Do you see progress being made? So, I thought it was really interesting that in the same scrum, Tockett said that it feels good to only have let two goals in. Mm. Um, How many times have the Canucks said that this season? Not many. You know what they've said a lot more often? That they let in five goals. Um, So, yeah, I guess there's work being done but you also have to look at who they're playing right um the games recently where they've let in two goals were against the blues against the flyers like those aren't exactly teams that are loaded up on on the front end and are uh offensive dynamos you know so i think that there's a lot at play i i mean we've seen i know i just uh carved them for making the same mistakes and I stand by that. But at the same time, we have seen a little bit of a defensive progress too. Gemma, the two goals quote is interesting to me because this team has on only one occasion this season permitted two goals or fewer in consecutive games. Do you think that's what's looming large in Tockett's imagination when he drops two goals as sort of a benchmark that he's mindful of? I mean, baby steps, right? Baby steps. Um, when was the last time this team got a shutout? I think it was like last March. Not, not this season. Not, yeah, definitely no. not this season. Definitely not this season. Um, so, like, there's a lot of work to be done. If, if two, letting two goals in is the benchmark, like, ooh. But it's also, this whole season has been a bit, ooh. So, are we surprised? No, not particularly. B- baby steps and no clean sheets. There's a lot of uh, infant talk on the uh, <laughs> on this hit. Uh, okay, one yeah. of the uh, Canucks, uh, he was obviously a big piece of the Bo Horvat trade. He made his Canucks debut uh, last week, has played a couple of games for them now. Next up is Atu Ratu, Gemma. Yeah, Ratu got the call up last week and he's played in two whole games for the big club now. Uh, before coming up, he was pretty blunt about how his time in Abbotsford had been going, saying he wasn't playing well. Then on Friday, uh, Ratchy was asked whether he was being too hard on himself. Here's his response. No, I, I just don't think I played that well, but I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. I mean, it was only like a seven-game stretch, and I 
it's it's not like oh, all the games were bad and a couple of good ones there too. But uh, yeah, sometimes it just takes it takes a while to kind of adapt to the playing style and then kind of to the team. And then you might just have a couple of worse games or or yeah, no, not as many great great games as you want. So that's kind of how it is. What should the expectations be for Atu Ratu down the stretch for the Canucks, given, you know, in his own words, he wasn't playing well in Abbotsford, and we've seen through his first two games, you know, Rick Tockett limit his minutes very significantly here. Yeah, I think set the expectations low and then lower them a little bit more. Um, I still think that he should be out in Abbotsford uh, getting overripe and finishing out the season there. Um, yeah, he wasn't having a great, great um, showing out there, but I think – he's going to get minutes out there at least, right? Um, so unless he's going to get more minutes up here, I'd send him back. I just I just don't think that being up here is the best thing for his development. I think that he has a lot of potential for this club. I think that we've seen some good things come out of Abbotsford in the last little while. I mean, look at how many guys... I mean, injuries have necessitated so many guys being called up, but they've, they've actually fit into to the squad pretty well, into the NHL team. So um, I think that they're doing some good stuff in Abbotsford. I'd like to see um, the promising prospects get overripe down there. With, yeah, it's hard to understand why Ratu would only be playing seven or eight minutes a night and yet Niels Hoaglander can't seem to get a shot despite the NHL experience that he has and track record. Um, How much do you think we see some of these young guys get a look down the stretch and, and how much development time will be spent in Abbotsford as the club gears up for maybe making an AHL playoff run? Yeah. I don't know who Hoglander has, has angered, but definitely someone is, <laughs> is like, no, you stay down there. You sit in your timeout in Abbotsford until we say otherwise. But I mean, he, he got a shout out on, on the Canucks main Twitter the other day uh, for his sweet uh, shootout move. So, I don't know. That was cool. And probably me. It, it, it was a great move. I mean, like I'm stoked on it. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I think I, I personally would like to see Hoaglander back up here before the end of the season. I think it's just a little carrot to give him after having spent most of the campaign down in Abbotsford. Um, like you said, HL playoffs are coming up. Uh, the the Baby Canucks seem poised to to actually do something, but again, they've seen poised to do something last season and didn't really. So um, I'd like to see some of these guys who have promise for the main club um, get a little bit of playoff experience and, and spend some time down there and playing meaningful games in March and all of those things. So um, I hope that um, that's what's coming up, but that also means that we need to get some more healthy bodies into the NHL lineup. So who knows? Uh, last uh, quote for this week's segment, Gemma, comes from uh, Thatcher Demko, who, of course, we have not seen in a long, long time in the Canucks crease. We'll, we'll see what his status is for tonight, but he's obviously working to get back to the NHL, uh, and he's also been the subject of some interesting trade reports and rumors lately as well. What are we going to hear from Thatcher Demko? Yeah, so like like I was saying, it feels like a lot of guys have been added to the IR lately, but one guy who's expected to make his way back onto the roster this week is Thatcher Demko. Uh, Tockett said that he was expected to get into a game, whether whatever that means, sometime this week. Um, Demko spoke on Friday about the back-and-forth nature of coming back from this injury. Uh, let's hear what he had to say. Well, you know, as you kind of process things at this point, it's... Uh... 
a situation where I'd rather take an extra five days to make sure. Um, you know, obviously I've been out for a while, so um, I'd hate to, to come back and then, you know, take a, a massive step back. So, um, yeah. I mean, I, we heard about the, you know, potential setback uh, last week, I believe. But there's also, there has to be an element here where the team is going to take this as slowly as possible uh, because we all know what, uh, you know, the how, how, how large the lottery odds figure uh, for this year's draft as well, Gemma. For sure. And and just for Demko's future, right? Like, mm. it, this isn't an insignificant injury. He's talked a, a lot about how a big part of coming back from this was mental. In a previous scrum, he talked about physical scar tissue and mental scar tissue. So it's obvious that this hasn't been easy for him and that he's been going through a lot. And I think slow playing it is the best possible move. Um, there's no rush to get him back in the lineup. Like, they're not going to go on a massive run here. Sorry. Um, and... I think that you have to make sure he's both physically and mentally ready to to be back in that crease. Gemma, what what do you make of the constant is he or isn't he happy here speculation around Thatcher? I I think it's got to be hard for him. Um, it's got to be pretty exhausting to um, have that constant speculation and not be around to address it much. Um, he's, he's had what, two scrums since December 1st. So uh, I think that's, he's probably really frustrated. If I were him, I'd be really frustrated. Um, do I think he's happy here? I, that's a great question. I, he fought to have Ian Clark here. So I would think that he wants to be here to work with Ian Clark. Mm. Obviously he's not going to be happy about where the team is at. Um, but I don't think you'll find anyone in that locker room who is. So um, I bet there's a lot of frustration weighing on Demko, and I would be surprised if um, I wouldn't be surprised if that frustration had him thinking about other potential options. I don't believe that that means he's asked for a trade. I really and truly don't think that he's pushing his way out of Vancouver. Um, but it's entirely possible that just the situation has been so frustrating that talk does happen. Gemma, really appreciate the time. Uh, we'll let you go and uh, cover Nick Bontis and the Canadian Soccer Association here. <laughs> yeah, um, let's go Canada. <laughs> <laughs> right, Have a great day, guys. Much, Gemma. We'll talk next week. Bye. That is Gemma Karsten-Smith from the Canadian Press joining us here uh, on Monday, as she does every week. Canucks talk here on Sportsnet six. 50. Uh, man, yeah, big day. We've barely even talked about the game in Dallas, but we'd expect to see Vitaly Kratsov make his Canucks debut. Uh, as we were mentioning a little earlier, with no JT Miller in the lineup, who knows how they're going to divvy up the center minutes behind Elias Pettersson. We were just talking to Gemma about Atu Ratu not playing a particularly uh, significant amount in his first couple of games. I do wonder if that changes uh, with... Um, uh, with the situation down the middle now tonight in Dallas. And then the other thing we should mention, I mean, the forward group is going to be a bit of a dog's breakfast. And with Ethan Bear out, and they already have Shen out. They already have Oliver Ekman Larson out of the lineup. Uh, the uh, defense group is going to be pretty interesting as well, given what they have uh, to work with transfers. So uh, we're, we're into the really, like, somebody texted in or tweeted at me, I, I forget which, but... Uh, you're going to be looking back at the lineups they run out in these types of games in like three or four years and thinking, wow, remember that? I can barely even believe that some of these guys played for the team. That's the that's the type of uh, time it is right now for the Canucks. It's a tough time.
that tends this tends to be like you know the the Mark Michaelis show right like yeah. this tends to be one of the hardest times to find joy while watching your team play but I mean look at least at there's least like there's a intrigue. couple of new guys who could plausibly aren't just pure AHL filler that are up right like they could plausibly help the team down the road in Ratu and Kratsov now it's been tough to make much of anything with Ratu because he's just not playing. Right, So you have to really, really squint to see anything good or bad in these games. But at least there is something that you can at least talk yourself into thinking, all right, this is going to mean something for next year. Right, This is important in some way. Because there's, there's, some teams don't even have that. You know what I mean? And I mean even prior editions of the Canucks team, where it is like Mark Michaelis, et cetera. You know what I mean? Well, so I think one of the things that I'm like gung-ho about now, like I want to see PD, get, or I want to see Elias Pettersson get to 100. Sure. I want to see him make a meaningful assault on the Henrik Sedin record. I think those would be those like, to me, that's the fun storylines that remain. It's really like, can Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson put some exclamation marks on what have been truly remarkable individual campaigns in, you know, pretty grim circumstances throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, a hundred points for Pettersson would be awesome. Like that would be, I mean, He's going to do If it. you have glass uh, half empty, maybe not because you're worried about what the contract is going to look ah. like. The contract's going to be huge anyways, though. No, there's nothing. The contract's going to be enormous anyways. I, I mean, I mean, you hope that he stops at 99 points because that'll keep his value down. <laughs> Knock 25,000 AAV off, off that next deal there. Come on. <laughs> no, the race, the race for 100, that's meaningful to me. Like, that'll be fun, but... You know, we, we do have to squint at this point to find those silver linings. <laughs> By the way, Rager says, what do you guys mean down the stretch? I've been looking at this roster that way for the last seven or eight years. <laughs> tough, tough affair from Rager coming in Very fair. to the Dunbar Lover text message inbox. Uh, we'll take a break. Final segment of the show. we got a busy show today. Jonathan Wall is going to join us again. Uh, some really interesting cap management stuff happening around the NHL, most notably with the New York Rangers. So we'll get into that. Lots of other stuff uh, with our guy, Jonathan Wall, as well. Uh, final segment coming up. Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the show for today. We're coming to you live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And you continue to get... Uh, your texts and thoughts in. We've got some questions about uh, Luke Shen coming in, some of the other things to uh, keep an eye on for the Canucks going forward. We're going to get Jonathan Wall uh, on the line here momentarily. And in fact, Jonathan is on the line right now, former member of the Canucks front office. Jonathan, how's it going? It's good, guys. How are you guys today? We're doing well, but I'm really curious to get your reaction to the following statement. Do we live in a world? Well, I guess it's a question, so it's not just your reaction. But I'm also curious to hear your reaction. Do (laughs) Yeah, good start. I'm nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Do we live in a world where Sam Lafferty and Jake McCabe are acquired for more than Patrick Kane? Could be. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly. Isn't that wild? Yeah. It's just, you know, you've got different different markets and different, you know... um, 
factors at play and different valuations on draft picks and other things. So I was I was watching a lot of the stuff that went on yesterday, and it was pretty interesting see, seeing how it all came together. Well, and we're kind of all watching now in real time. The Rangers do everything they can, use kind of every item in their arsenal to try to clear the cap space in time to make the Patrick Kane acquisition. And uh, right. you spent so long navigating the salary cap and the day-to-day implications and trying to squeeze every last uh, dollar you can under the cap. What What's going through your mind? What's your reaction to watching this kind of... I can't remember another instance like this where we're all seeing this team do everything they can uh, to create the cap space. What's your reaction to watching it? Well, a couple of things. First, being in the discussions, especially in you know August, September, beginning of October in my career, you know, sometimes you look at things and think, you know, is, does this really make that big of a difference? Does it really make that big of a difference? And it's amazing now you're seeing where you're, you know, you got calculations down to the dollar and it could be a decision you make in training camp or your off season LTI that is going to affect a potential trade at the trade deadline. So really with the cap, it's an everyday focus to make sure that you're doing all you can to, to maximize the space you're going to have at the deadline. Um, I think two watching as well with the situation yesterday with not actually playing two players, which I don't know if has ever happened before, but that mm-hmm. was really interesting watching them. And, and that's the one thing I think we talked about maybe last week was you can have all these plans and you can plan it to the dollar plan to the day. But if something happens in the meantime, then you get stuck. So now they're dealing with the su- potential suspension. They had the two players yesterday. They didn't play so they could be sure that they don't get injured to send down today. And, uh, yeah, they are pulling out all the stops they can to make this trade work. Was there another option than having Braden Schneider um, sit on the bench for the entire game? Like, could they have just dressed 17? Why why, why didn't they, do you think? Well, I think, no, you you really have to. The the league would not have uh, sort of looked on that Appreciated that, yeah. Yeah, no, they, they had enough players that were healthy and could dress, and they want to see, you know, a full team dressed. With um, with regards to the Tanner Jeannot return, which I think stunned people, um, how do you view the Tampa Bay valuation of draft picks relative to a world where, like, not just this season, but they have eighty million committed already for next year too? Um, so it's not like you know they have like a whole long list of potential targets to provide marginal value, right? It's it's kind of just guys making under a million who can help them next year, too. Do, do you think that impacts the price that they're willing to part with for these sort of uber-competitive, super-cost-controlled pieces? I think it's one of those things. You take, you take your swing, and if it works, I don't know that anyone really cares if you have no picks or one pick and you know you sort of have a, a get out of jail free card for a while if you if it actually works and you do win a, another cup down there i think they have a very good sense on their valuation and also their internal player values and they've they've done a pretty good job over time moving players out of their mix and bringing draft picks back in so i'm sure they're confident that they've got some players in mind that they might have been made expendable by some of the moves or as players have developed and they're looking at recouping picks using some of those players as well. And Julian Brisebois had some really interesting things to say about giving up that much in return for Jeannot and kind of talked about you know how little value they place as a team that's trying to win the Stanley Cup this year and next on future draft picks. Is 
do you think that's a trend we're going to see more of where teams in Tampa's position, you know, I think for a while there was the thought that teams undervalued draft picks, but for a team like Tampa Bay, are they actually overvalued and should more teams be kind of doing what they're doing and be willing to give up significant assets to improve your team right now? Well, I think one of the things that Julian said that I thought was interesting was looking at the percentages, percentage chance of a pick turning out and to be a player and then the percentage chances of a pick turning out to be a significant player for you. And I think when you look at it, you could make an argument that, especially later round picks, if you are taking a pick that has a 5 or 7 or 3% chance of turning out turning out, and acquiring a player that can actually play for you right now, you're, you're sort of playing the odds in a different way and maybe a better way. So there's definitely some thought on that. Uh, you know, everyone thinks of these, you know, draft picks. I mean, they're really a, they are a lottery ticket. And, you know, sometimes if you can turn that lottery ticket into a sure thing, it might be better than waiting and hoping that it actually pays off down the road. Well, and it almost seems like we're in a position where, you know, rebuilding teams or teams at one, uh, a down part of their competitive cycle should be valuing draft picks even more highly than they do. And then teams at the top end of the cycle uh, can be a little bit more free than we've seen, right? Like the, the, the asset has very different value depending on what cycle your team is in. Well, for sure it does. The other thing we're seeing, it used to be this, this belief in having draft picks as assets because you had this long runway with them and you had you know, four or five or seven years of cost control, and they, they could really help you build your team. Whereas now, a lot of these players are, are getting onto their full price contracts on their second contract. So it used to be that you had this long runway with, with cheap or, you know, underpriced assets, whereas now it feels like they're, they're actually hitting their market value much quicker, which then means you do have to watch how many picks you have and how many players you have coming up at the same time. John, how much do you think the odd pricing that we're seeing reflects continued pessimism from, you know, capologists, general managers, teams themselves about the short to medium term future of NHL cap growth? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure, Thomas. I mean, you know, we're you obviously saw all the news about the regional sport sports networks and how that's gonna affect the cap. I think it still comes down to with the uncertainty, you just need to have flexibility. You want to have expiring contracts as, you know, really try to limit your exposure on long-term contracts. You want to have expiring contracts and flexibility within your group to, to maximize the roster you're putting on the, on the table with the uncertainty for sure. You have to try to keep your flexibility as high as you can. We've seen a lot of moves since Bo Horvat was traded, but I'm going to give you the following list of players, Anthony Beauvillier, right? Nino Niederreiter to Winnipeg. Nikita Zaitsev, who his team paid to induce a a rival to take on the contract. And Jake McCabe with 50% retained. That's the full list of players with cap hits over a million and term traded over the course of the past month. What does that tell you about the value of, uh, or or the lack of value of significant termed commitments uh, on the market at the moment. Well, yeah, it, it, it kind of goes both ways. I know when we looked at the JT Miller trade initially, part of the draw to us was the fact that he was cost controlled and had term. Mm-hmm. But again, it really depends on the team where they're at in their cycle and you know what they're what they're trying to do. If it's a short term team that's in their window right now, I could see them looking you know short term deals and again keeping that flexibility moving ahead. 
Right. And is the flexibility key? Because you think about Bo Horvat, who's traded without an extension, but obviously the team's going to keep him, right? Uh, I, I'm sure that's the case for a lot of the guys we've seen dealt as rentals, wh- whether it's Ryan O'Reilly or Timo Meyer, right? At some point, we're going to see those teams at least uh, put their best foot forward and try to keep him. So it seems like it's not necessarily uh, fear of adding term that's sort of driving the reticence of taking it on so much as flexibility that's valued. Is that a fair statement, you think? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. It's just that flexibility and being able to, you know, manage what you're trying to manage uh, as you go. And then, you know, sometimes too with with term, it's nice to get a player in and actually see them and understand what they're about, find out if they're a good fit before you extend them. So sometimes you'll see a team do it right away if they know the player. Sometimes they'll wait, sort of do a bit of a, you know, bit of an audition and then look to sign them in the off season. So they love when we talk about Toronto-based sports teams on this on these airwaves. Uh, our, our our audience does. So I wanted to ask you because former Astros general manager James Click was hired today by the Toronto Blue Jays in a front yeah. office role, and he's got a surprising Canucks connection uh, <laughs> that I figured I'd uh, I'd ask you to tell our listeners about. Yeah, so I first met James, I think, in maybe 2009 mm. at the Sloan Analytics Conference in Boston, and I was very fortunate to be part of a group that was put together with a bunch of young sort of executives or young executives uh, with different sports teams. So there was, you know, James and Eric Neander from Tampa, and there was uh, someone from OK City basketball, uh, European soccer. So there's a bunch of different teams, and we created kind of a, a working group where we could just talk about ideas and stuff. And, and James and I hit it off really well. And he was, he was an awesome resource for me as we started building our analytics and trying to understand some of that stuff. And, and we actually became, our teams actually became somewhat connected where we had some, some meetings where we had our you know, player development and scouting staff and some of their staff together and really traded ideas. And you know, at the time, we were really doing some innovative things. And it was kind of fun to have someone in a completely different sport that you could reach out to and rely on and, and get information from. So James and I have been in touch sort of for 10 plus years and following him from afar. And whenever the, the, you know, is with the Rays or in Seattle, I would go down and try to explain to people why I was a Tampa Bay Rays fan. So <laughs> it uh, caused some confusion once in a while, but it's, it's been a, a good relationship and the Jays are getting a really good person. So that's a, a great addition for the Jays today. Well, you can join Drance and I as Jays fans now, at least as long. I, I don't know how long he's going to be there because he's going to be in demand to be a GM uh, at some yeah. point down the road, but at least while he's there. that That's a really fascinating story about the kind of working group and the, the personnel from different teams. How valuable did you find that? Just being able to talk to people from, you know, obviously the same business in terms of professional sports, but dealing with totally different leagues and, and CBAs and all of that. I mean, it was incredible. The, I met them on the heels of, there was a book written, I think maybe 06, called The Extra 2%, and it sort of chronicled the Rays and some of the work they were doing with, with analytics and sort of some different thinking. And to sort of meet, you, you know, Eric and James and, and get a chance to get to know them really well was a huge huge asset and then in terms of starting to build our analytics work and understanding the value of data and and they were really the the catalyst for me understanding the value of having more data and the micro data and some of the stuff we started putting in place over time was based on that really understanding of the value of really good really accurate data jonathan that's fantastic really appreciate the time as always and uh, i'm sure we'll be talking again soon my pleasure guys thank you thanks jaywell
That is yeah. Jonathan Wall, longtime former member of the Canucks front office. Uh, apparently, just all the smart people in sports hang out and talk to each other. Yeah. I mean, I kind of knew that, but that's I love that. Just like, yeah, we were all at Sloan. Of course, where else would you meet? But at Sloan, the big sports nerd <laughs> gathering. And uh, and then, yeah, we just started talking and, and uh, maintained a relationship. A world where the Tampa Bay Devil Rays looked around and said, hey, you know, it's worth our time to learn some of the best practices of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> How does that statement hit you today? Mm-hmm. Probably not what would be happening today. No. No. Still interesting. Oh, it's ph- phenomenally interesting, but also a worthwhile signpost from, from there to here. You know, sometimes it's worth marking. That's fair. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. A couple other things I wanted to get into, and we touched on this quickly with Gemma uh, when we were talking to her earlier this hour. Luke Shen, it's been a week now, still a Canuck. Doesn't really sound like anything is, you know, quote unquote, uh, imminent. Somebody texted in a little earlier in the show. Are the Canucks hoping for too much for Shen right now? Can they retain uh, in order to help move him? The weird thing about it is we saw so much, such a flurry of action over the weekend, but it was all forwards. We've really only seen the Dmitry Orlov deal and kind of high-profile defenseman trades. Like, Mikola was thrown in uh, with uh, with Tarasenko. There was the Jacob Magna trade. But there's this idea, and I know Sat was tweeting about it earlier, but there was this idea that maybe dominoes would have to start to fall on the defense market before Shen ends up getting moved. Uh, and I guess now we had McCabe today as well. But the defense market has been really, really slow to develop in relation to the forward market. Everyone's – it's like one of those – knife fight scenes from a movie where people are circling each other, you yeah. know, for a long time, like one one guy's throwing the knife back and forth. Like it feels like we're just waiting for the first strike. No one's drawn blood. And and Shen's very much like well, and think about this. You know, people are like, well Shen got pulled out of the lineup. Like, man, wouldn't there be egg on the Canucks' face if the deadline passed and he's just reinserted in the lineup? What about Chickering? Oh my Gosh. That's a much higher stakes situation. Are you kidding me? And he's me? been out of the lineup for three weeks. Are you kidding me? And he's been on the trade block for how long? Well, don't you think there's some pressure? On, like, you know, don't you think Bill Armstrong's feeling a little bit of pressure on this? I, I would think so. I would certainly, I would be. You, uh, could you imagine if that was the Canucks? Because one thing in Bill Armstrong's favor, right, is Arizona. Yeah, no, no one's going to be carving him on the radio down there. No, no, like no. literally, no, it's just not going to happen. They're going to be debating whether Tory Craig or Josh Okogie should be in the starting lineup, right? I mean, the, or is that just me? Well, no, <laughs> I was gonna, so they're probably more be debating whether Kyler Murray is the, is the quarterback right, for the future, but yeah. Um, so <laughs> I don't, I don't know if even Arizona sports radio cares as much about Josh Okogie as you do. No one should realistically. <laughs> no one should. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so the, I'm sorry, I'm so distracted by Josh Okogie now. We're um, talking about the defense market. Gavrikov too, two yep. weeks out, right? So it's really a fascinating dynamic. The Canucks are not the only team affected, right? And this is one of those things where it would be one thing if the Canucks were standing alone here, but there's so many teams with defenders who've been out of the lineup for longer and who should have more value than Luke Shen. 
that are you yeah. know, in a similar boat and probably should be under more pressure. So, you know, when you're one of three, it's a little bit different for me in terms well, of not, how I... Yeah, and I don't bring it up to, like, carve the Canucks no, for it. No, I'm no, just It's just kind of a weird situation that, that has happened to them. And, you know, it's interesting also because... I just because... like to gut check things with, like, is it standard? Sure, sure. You know, and this one is. Well, this yeah. one is. I mean, literally, other teams are dealing with it as we speak, and, right? And, and teams in worse situations yeah. with more valuable pieces. The other part of it, though, is that, you know, the Bruins... I don't know if there was ever, ever any direct reporting, like the Bruins are close on Shen right now, but it certainly seemed like there was this kind of, ooh, the Bruins would make a lot of sense when he initially started sitting out. Now they've gone and made the Orlov trade. Does that take them out of the Luke Shen market? You know, Toronto has made a couple of additions now. Tampa, we know their situation is so desperate. Those are a lot of teams we've heard linked with Luke Shen in the past. And don't ignore either that over the course of, say, Chikorin sitting out, all of a sudden Washington's now emerged yep. as a potential seller. Nashville. And Matthias Ekholm could be on the move uh, all of a sudden. I was just about to say. And, and and man, if you're Columbus, you're just like, oh, no. But but you look at Jensen, like to stick with Jensen, because obviously yeah. Ekholm's um, a, a hugely desirable, unique piece. But Ekholm, if you do double retention on him, can cost 800 k You know, like that's a, that's a 750 k piece. Like that's the guy I wonder about for like Tampa. Mm-hmm. Because, oh boy, would that be an You mean un- Jensen. Sorry, what did yeah, I say? You said Ekholm. Sorry, uh, Jensen. Jensen, yeah. Jensen with double retentions, like a 800K piece. Like, can you imagine Tampa with him in their top four? I mean, that would be a perfect fit. So I'm really curious to see if we see more action, more movement on... I, look, I, clearly, the rest of this week is going to be what's going on with the defense market. Um you know, I do think Shen's at the level of value where he's most likely to hold, like, the Canucks' best return at this point, and having waited this long, they might as well keep waiting, right? But their best chance of getting value with Shen is probably to hold and be someone's backup plan. I don't even know. Yeah, it's to me it's backup plan, but also just Shen can also fit as a, we're doing... This move, plus we'll do Luke Shen. It's not even a backup plan as much as it is. It's a depth move, right? Like, you might want to add a top four defenseman, but if you do that, it doesn't necessarily take you out of the running for a depth defenseman well, either, right? And we haven't discussed, like, Frank Saravalli surfaced the idea. Of, so the Maple Leafs need to make another move, yeah. whether it's Engvall or Kerfoot or Hole, in order to open up the cap space they'll require to activate Matt Murray prior to the playoffs, right? So they're cap compliant now, but if you want to bring Matt Murray back into the lineup, and surely... Considering all that they've staked on playoff Matt Murray being playoff Matt Murray from 2017, 2016, they want Matt Murray to play some games tuning up before the playoffs, yeah. before trying to outduel Andre Vasilevsky, right? So there's some pressure on the Maple Leafs to maybe make a move. Is there a world where, I know they added McCabe today, but is there a world where, uh, and I'm not using like a Maple Leaf specific example so much as I'm, I'm just illustrating a point, like where the Maple Leafs need to move money, Luke Shen's still a desirable, tough minutes guy for them. He's also a keep away option for them. Keeps him right. away from keeps him away from Tampa. Tampa Bay. Now you're facing, you know, Shen and um, uh, Janot and on and on. Janot, yeah. Janot, excuse me, on and on. Like you're, you know, is that something where? And then the Canucks are able to juice the return. I, I, that's still sort of what I'm expecting a Shen trade. Not expecting, but that's what I think the Canucks would love to find in a Shen trade. Is like a bigger deal. Um than just Shen for a pick. Well, and that could be the reason why... I think if they wanted to do Shen for a third, they would be done. And that's going to be there on the deadline. Yeah. You would have to think. Like, the the probability that that's there on the deadline is so, so high, even as these other pieces get moved around. 
So from that perspective, why not have a little bit of patience? You can always use that as your fallback, right? You can always, hey, it's it's Friday at 11 o'clock, and that larger deal we were trying to make happen didn't get done. Let's see if we can get that third-round pick for him. That option should be there. So yeah, why not hold out a little bit and uh, and see what kind of larger deal you can find ar- around Luke Shen. You brought up the Leafs and uh, Alex Kerfoot. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, the, the Leafs are going to have to do something. Frank Saravelli with the Daily Faceoff connecting Alex Kerfoot to the Canucks. Uh, you know, Kerfoot would make a lot of sense uh, for the Leafs to move. And Saravelli says the Vancouver native has been connected to the Canucks in recent days. So that would he's a pending UFA. He's 28. So that would have to be a situation where you're getting an asset to alleviate the Leafs cap concerns. And that's a fairly significant chunk of uh, of the cap space you have to work with right now. So coming up right after we're done on the PDO cast is uh, me and uh, Jack Fraser, frequent Canucks yep. talk guest. And we do a show with Dimitri every year where we pitch fake trades. And one of the very first fake trades I pitched, granted this was before the McCabe mm. edition for Toronto, was Niels Hoaglander All right. and Luke Shen to Toronto for a draft pick, and Pontus Holmberg. Okay. Right? Who's like a 23-year-old center. And the the logic being, does it make sense for the Canucks to monetize from their surplus of wingers and bring a similarly aged center who's been actually super productive in the NHL this year and was extraordinarily productive as a 22-year-old in the SHL a year ago playing for the Vakwa Lakers, which is, of course, Elias Pettersson's former team. Um what would you think of that? What's your reaction to that? I think that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, it's tough for me without doing kind of a deep dive into Holmberg, uh, based on you know beyond just hockey DB scouting. I think slightly lower upside than, than how we probably feel about yeah. Hoaglander, but you know, I think we're top five percent in terms of rating Hoaglander. Um, but I, I think if you're getting a young center with like decent realistic upside in that deal. I'm I'm fine with that. I'll I'll I. They just are so desperate down the middle, like yeah. so incredibly desperate. Well, and down and the now maybe it's a bigger, maybe it's like maybe it's a similar-ish package, but with money coming back, like a a Kerfoot coming back, and and more uh, draft pack capital. So anyway, I I can see there being a fit there. I just think um, most likely you'd think the Leafs are out of the market for additional defensive help. They have so many defensemen that can play in the NHL right now. Like they're eight deep in- right inc- now, including like. Jordy Ben. Well, yeah, their Jordy Ben would be like Mente. ninth. Yeah. yeah. So I don't I don't see them using any other assets they have to make that move, but yeah, who knows. Uh that do that'll do it for us as you said the Hockey PDO cast is coming up next. We'll be back tomorrow here on SportsNet 650.